0: Welcome to Bat on Paper podcast. I'm Olivia Mentor. And I'm Becca Freeman. And today we are talking about all things freelancing. Becca and I both freelance in different ways, so we're going to answer all of your questions, everything you've wondered about what it is we do, (laughs) and it'll be good.
1: Yeah, I feel like this is one of my most frequently asked questions, kind of various facets of how to go about freelancing, and so hopefully this will be a one-stop shop to answer all of your questions.
0: Absolutely. Before we get into all of that, shall we do some highs and lows?
1: Let's. Olivia, tell me your high.
0: My high is that I had a really nice day yesterday with my friend Kirsten, who is moving to England. So we had like a whole Philly day. We went to Dim Sum Garden, which is my favorite place, to get soup dumplings. And I haven't been there in a very long time, so it was such a treat. And then we went to the – I'm going to pronounce this incorrectly, but the M- M- Mutter Museum or Mütter Museum. It's M-U-T-T-E-R. I don't know if you've heard of this, Becca. Have I you? haven't. Okay. It's super creepy. It's all about body parts. I'm not <laughs> and- interested.
1: Don't take me there. <laughs>
0: You know, I don't get very queasy like easily, and it was a lot, but it's a very Philly thing. It's very spooky and great for Halloween if you want to go there this season. Then we went to like a little pop up garden and got some drinks and just walked many thousand steps around the city, and it was just a really nice day.
1: That sounds great. Honestly, right before we got on the zoom I was looking at hotels for Philly to come for an overnight and I was just thinking because I'd been just listening to last week's episode with Jen Weiner and she was talking about all of her favorite Philly bookstores yeah I just want to go I want to have a Philly day too yeah
0: let's do it there's so many there's so many things to do and places to eat so it'll be really fun
1: I'm excited what is your high my main ventures continue. I'm now on week two of two up in Maine. And I was saying to you before we started recording that this trip just has such kid summer vacation vibes. Like we went to a minor league baseball game. We, yesterday we drove out to the coast and we decided we are going to taste as many lobster rolls as we can. It turns out that was only two, but we had so much fun and it just, there's a kind of goof offiness to this trip that I'm really enjoying
0: yeah it just following online it looks so fun and just pure
1: yeah nice. yeah I think we're gonna go golfing later today which is something I don't know how to do at all
0: oh wow okay we'll see interesting
1: we'll see it's
0: a good exercise the sport you can do all your life you know don't think I'm gonna be very
1: good at it <laughs> what about on the low side
0: My low is that I continue to say yes to too many things. And I'm at this point where I'm juggling like multiple writing projects, freelance writing for different publications, content creation for brands on Instagram, also just being on Instagram (laughs) in general. And um, it's kind of too much for me right now. So I need to just say no, but it goes against every fiber in my being to say no to work as a freelancer, which is something we'll get to in this episode, I'm sure. So, yeah, it's it's a good problem to have, but I'm a little bit overwhelmed at the moment.
1: I'm sorry, that's tricky. Yeah, but
0: it's a good problem, like I said. But what about you?
1: My low is much less serious. My low is the sheer quantity of mosquito bites I have.
0: That is not less serious. I There's nothing that can drive me to just absolute madness Like mosquito bites.
1: And, you know, the worst one is I somehow have one on the bottom of my foot.
0: No. Oh, my gosh. This happened
1: to me recently. It's agony. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. I'll live. But
0: I'm kind of uncomfortable. Have you seen that thing that was on Shark Tank? It's like a bug bite suction thing.
1: I have it at home. Oh, darn. It does work. Oh, wow. I've always wondered. It does work. I don't know if it's placebo effect or not. I think it's called bug bite thing if you're wondering. Straightforward. Very straightforward. No, I'm just dousing myself in like chemical bug spray. So Whatever works. Yeah. That's well, me.
0: A small price to pay for main ventures.
1: Absolutely. Let's take a quick ad break before we get into the episode.
0: Here's something weird I do when I'm feeling anxious. I book doctor's appointments from regular skin checks at the dermatologist to a yearly dental appointment. There's just something about knowing that I'm taking care of my health that makes me feel that much more in control of life. But the truth is that I haven't always been so great about doing this consistently until I started using ZocDoc. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient reviewed, take your insurance and are available when you need them.
1: It's seriously the best if you need to find a new doctor. I love that you can plug in all of your criteria that you're looking for. You could put in what type of doctor you're looking for, from primary care to dentists to physical therapists and any preferences. Like for example, if I'm looking for a female OBGYN, and then they give me a list of doctors who are in network with my insurance and allow me to sort by distance or patient rating. And the booking's all online, so you don't have to wait on hold, which is honestly one of the most annoying parts and is so silly, but is something that keeps me from booking doctor's appointments otherwise. And I love that I can see a doctor's entire schedule instead of just the next available appointment, so I can pick a time that actually works for my schedule and not vice versa. And some doctors have appointments available as soon as today.
0: You know, just the other day, I was searching for a specific appointment on ZocDoc, and the app actually automatically reminded me that it had been a while since I made a dermatologist appointment to do a skin check. And as someone who grew up in Florida and loved spending time outside, making regular dermatologist appointments to make sure everything is A-OK is so important. But I can't say I would have remembered to do this if I didn't have ZocDoc to not only remind me, but also make the process of finding a doctor and booking an appointment completely stress-free.
1: Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc and we're two of them. It's my go-to whenever I need to find and book a doctor. Go to ZocDoc.com slash B-O-P and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash B-O-P. ZocDoc.com slash B-O-P.
0: All right. Let's talk all things freelance. So- yeah. So, Becca, I don't know this about you, actually. Tell me how and when you decided to go freelance and go out on your own.
1: So I've been freelancing for five years, and I actually did it completely accidentally. So at that point, I was 10 years out of college, and I'd been working in marketing for eight of those years. And at the time, I was the head of marketing at Lola. And I had been there for three years. I was super burnt out. I knew I wanted to leave, but I couldn't really get excited about any job opportunities. Like when I looked online, everything just felt really blah to me. And so what I said to myself was that I was going to take six months off and I was going to try to pick up some freelance work to just reset myself. And so I left my job in May and my plan was to take the summer off and then to spend six months freelancing. And it was really low stakes because it was like it was never my intention to do it for forever. So I figured, hey, I'll I'll try to do this and maybe I'll get some work. But, you know, if it's not incredibly lucrative or if it doesn't really work out, my plan was always to go back in house. And so I think that really helped a lot of times when people ask me about freelancing. It's like, well, how did you know? It's like I didn't know because I was just doing it as a a kind of like trial run. And I never thought that it would be long-term. So I didn't think that hard about it. And I just did it and figured everything out as I went.
0: Do you think that was the right move? Do you wish like you knew more going in? Or do you think part of just kind of winging it worked?
1: No, I think winging it worked for me. Good. Yeah.
0: So tell me about what kind of services you offer. I kind of know the basic general (laughs) stuff. But explain like how you describe the things you offer to your clients.
1: So... Usually, I do one of two things. So, the first thing is I come in when a company loses their VP of marketing, whether that's because they were fired or because they quit. And I plug in as a stopgap while they search for that person. Or alternatively, I've also done a few projects that are maternity leave covers. So I help to manage the team, the junior team, and I help to make sure that everyone is hitting their goals and kind of just keep the wheels on the bus while they search for kind of the permanent person to replace whoever left. And then the second project that I've done quite frequently is around TV advertising. And so helping brands who've never advertised on TV, and I kind of oversee the project from start to finish, and I help them to RFP creative agencies to make a TV commercial. I oversee that creative process and then help them to find a media agency and run a test. And so basically that usually ends up being like a six to nine month project where I kind of come in as an external expert and then help to train their team internally to take over that channel. You said RFP, what does that mean? RFP, request for proposal. R- oh. So see? it's it's basically like the shopping process to find an agency. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so those are the two most common. I will sometimes have people approach me about different types of projects and have taken on other things. Like I did a project a few years ago where I helped overhaul a company's email marketing program. So there are other oddball projects, but those two are the most common. So you've been doing this for five years now. Mm -hmm.
0: What do you think? Is this better than being full-time in-house? Would you ever go back? Does it change day to day?
1: I have a very complicated answer here. So I think that if I did not have the podcast, if I did not have my creative projects, so rom-com pods and the book that I'm writing, I think that I would probably have gone back in house. I like a lot about freelancing. I like the flexibility of my schedule, both on the macro and on the the day-to-day level. I like not having to answer to a boss. I do think I generally make more money freelancing, but I feel like a mercenary. I don't really like it. I don't feel like I have strong connections to the teams that I'm working with because I'm usually only there for a short period of time. So I think that from a personal connection perspective and also just feeling like I'm having an impact and like pride of work. I feel like I would have gone back in house if not for these other projects. And even still, I'm pretty over freelancing after five years. And I am imminently planning how I can exit this, hopefully by selling my book and and kind of making more money off of some of my other creative projects. So that makes sense. Five years in, it's been good, but I don't think it's for me. Uh, Okay, interesting. All right. What about you? So tell me about how you decided to go freelance and kind of where you were in your career when you made that choice. So I started working at bustle.com right after
0: college in 2015. And then a couple years after that in 2017, I don't know if I've actually talked about this in the podcast before. I probably have, but a very close friend of mine died like super suddenly. And I had this moment where I was like, do I want to be in New York? Do I want to be in this job? Do I want to be an editorial? Before I had just sort of been like moving up the ranks, getting promotions. I was like, I'll just do this until I'm editor-in-chief one day. And I, I didn't really know why or if I actually wanted to be doing that, but it just seemed like that was kind of the way to go. And as an editor, I had obviously been working with a lot of freelancers, and so I kind of worked backwards I was like what do I want my days to look like and I was like okay I don't want to be living in New York and I want to work from home and I want to set my own hours and I want to be able to choose the kind of stories that I do and so I was like well I guess freelancing it is so that was at the end of 2017 beginning of 2018 And then it honestly took about a year to like gear up to go freelance, quit my job and move to Philly. It's kind of like an all in one thing. (laughs) But that was in 2019. And so I've been freelancing ever since.
1: So three years. Yes. And what do you do? Do you largely do the same thing you were doing in-house just independently? Or do you do more? How would you explain it to somebody who was coming to you to to buy your wares yeah so i
0: write all different types of articles for all different types of publications and it kind of has changed year to year as people are looking for different things um i a lot of what i do now is commerce writing so you know very specific seo stories about items that you might be searching for to buy like Jeans for tall women, or um, the best. What did I do the other day? The best reusable storage bags. Very exciting content. And sometimes it's copywriting. I've done copywriting for brands before. Sometimes it's editing. I worked with Bustle for a bit on a freelance capacity and edited like a larger story package where I signed stories and edited them. It's a little bit of everything and it changes month to month.
1: So same question back to you. Do you prefer freelance to being in-house? Can you ever see yourself going back to a full-time job?
0: No, I can never see myself going back to like a traditional office 9 to 5. Like I don't I think I could do it if I needed to, but I think it would break me emotionally <laughs> and mentally if I had to. For the first I would say year and a half to 2 years I was obsessed with freelancing. It still is the best decision I've ever made. And I actually used like the first year to build like a course for other people who want to do freelance writing, which I'll talk about at some point in this episode because I felt like there was no resources to figure out how to be a freelance writer like from, you know, start to finish, from taxes, from pitching, for to all of that. So that was kind of the first year and a half, but I think I, if I hadn't used it as a way to like write the book or focus on more creative things or have the capacity to do the podcast or whatever, I don't know if it would be sustainable. And I can see myself hitting that five year mark and being like, yeah, I don't know if I can do this. I would at least have to have something else, I guess, to, to stimulate me creatively. Because as much as I like can write whatever essays I want, at the end of the day, a lot of like the bread and butter of freelance writing is not. Really creative things.
1: <laughs> I hear you. So, we're going to go through kind of all of our advice on freelancing from how do you decide to finding clients to setting rates to getting paid. And I just want to give a caveat at the top here that this is based on our own experiences. This is not necessarily the only way to do things. So, you know, take this as two data points, but this is not monolithic. We are not experts on consulting how to go freelance yes (laughs) so let's talk about deciding to go freelance i crowdsourced some questions and i didn't necessarily take a lot of them verbatim but i used it to kind of make this outline so i think one really popular question was what do you need to go freelance in terms of experience do you need work to show like when in your career do you think is the right time to go freelance
0: Based on the different type of freelancing we do, I feel like the answers are very different. I always encourage people who want to get into freelance writing to start immediately. I wish so badly that I had done this in college because I could have made money. And there's absolutely no reason why you can't. Of course, if you've built up a name for yourself, if you have things published, if editors know you, it's always going to be easier. There's nothing that's stopping anyone from pitching a story to an editor. No matter what your experience is, what your background is, uh, if you know how to put together a story idea, a pitch, and an email, you can do it. Build, build from there.
1: Do you need to have clips in order to, to do this? It helps, but... I feel like most editors,
0: and again, this is just speaking for me and my experience, but I think most editors will look at your email and they'll see your story idea and they'll know immediately if you understand the type of content that the website or publication is doing, if you're a good writer, if you can formulate an idea and if you can back that idea up with research or interviews or whatever it is. And of course, maybe after that, they'll you know look at your writing somewhere, but in general, does it help? Absolutely. Is it necessary to have a million clips? No. Okay. What about you In your world?
1: On my end, I would say it's quite different. I would say there's no hard and fast rule of like, yes, you should freelance. No, you should not. I think generally you should have at least five years of experience. You should have at least two different jobs at different companies. I think you should probably be at a manager level at least. I think you could probably freelance at more junior levels, but I think it's probably really hard to express what you're bringing to the table and you're more so doing that like Fiverr type of work where it's like we're hiring you to do a small project versus we want to keep you on retainer for services for a longer period of time. I think the most important thing you need is a network and that's just in my experience. I think having a robust network of people at different companies who would potentially be in a position to hire you. And so that's why I think you might even want to be in a more senior level than manager. You might want to be at like a senior manager or director level, like the type of person who's in a position to actually hire a freelancer. And I think to me, that was the most valuable thing was my network when going freelance, more so than any experience I have in terms of getting hired, which is just the reality. Like I think freelance is very much... I think you can do it by brute force and just you know, cold outreach to people and sell yourself. But I think realistically, freelance in my vertical is very much about who you know.
0: Yeah, I, I would actually say that is an, an area of overlap where the more people you know, the more connections you have, it's going to be way easier.
1: <laughs> it's the same thing with writing. Let's talk about building a safety net before you leave. So you've decided that you want to go freelance. On your side, was there a certain amount of savings that you wanted to have? Did you do any budgeting exercises? Did you line up any work in advance? I did line up some work in advance, but...
0: No, I I really just went into this kind of blind. And one thing that we'll talk about later, I think, but that I had no idea of how to (laughs) prepare for because I didn't know it was a thing. I just kind of assumed I would be paid in a timely manner. And so I didn't really account for like the three months when I started freelancing, where even if I had some work lined up, uh, I wasn't going to get paid for those jobs for, for quite a bit of time. And that was difficult. That's part of why I wanted to create a course because I was like, I just had no idea how to how to do it. There was no guide for it. I kept I kept just wanting someone to be like, Here is step one. Here is step two. Here's what you do six months before you leave your job. Here's what you do four months before you leave your job, and I just couldn't find that information anywhere. <laughs> So I figured it out, but not in the smartest way. But what about you?
1: Well, going back to what you just said about wanting that guide, I don't think that exists because it can't exist. Like there aren't firm guidelines. And in the question box where I put out questions, I just felt so much anxiety telegraphing through those questions of like, oh, my God, but like, how does this work? How do I do this? And I think almost like you have to have a certain personality type In order to be comfortable freelancing or else I think it would be a pretty miserable experience for you. And so I think if you're stressing at that level where you're like, I need I need a roadmap, maybe rethink if this is for you. And one thing I would say, if you can, is try a freelance project out before leaving your full time job. Pick something up as a nights and weekends project and just try it. Be like, do I even like doing this? Understand what it is you're doing. So, before I went freelance, one thing that I did that I really recommend is networking with other people who were already freelancing. And I took people to coffee. And instead of being like, tell me how great it is, I was like, tell me the worst things about your job. Because I wanted to know, like, I feel like, you know, you sometimes romanticize what it's going to be like. I'm going to sleep until 10 and then have a leisurely coffee and then I'm going (laughs) to do some work. And it's like, okay. But also, you need to think about nobody's gonna pay me on time and I'm gonna have no work at certain points. And, you know, like I wanted to know those things. So I think going into it realistically is really helpful. Yeah. Again, I got into this by accident. So I did not really think about savings or budgeting. On the budgeting side, I would say definitely make sure to budget for healthcare. And we'll talk more Mm -hmm. about that later in the episode. And also, if you need help with accounting, like a tax professional budget for that. And then I think if you can line up work in advance, that's awesome. What I did, and again, I was I was planning to take the summer off after I left, so I wasn't looking for work immediately. But when I left my job, I sent out an email to all like, I don't know, like 250 professional contacts. And I let them know that I was leaving my full-time job and that my plan was that I was going to start consulting in the fall. And I think the call to action was basically, if you need any help or like no companies that would like reach out to me. And I think that email is where probably like my first year and a half of work came from.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's amazing and very smart. But again, it's
1: about, you know, going back to it's your network.
0: Yeah, I think you know, I did have a list of things that I wanted to do, like in this year that I prepared to go freelance. And I don't know if they were necessarily the right things, but just having that guide kind of helped me. And
1: in in my... So wait, did you the- write this guide that you wanted to exist?
0: Right. So that was like what I, so I went into freelancing and I said, okay, I'm going to freelance for this first year. And along the way, I'm going to take note of all the things I wish I had known. And so in my course, I did include like a, I think it's like a a 12 month breakdown of like, here's what you could do in Mm -hmm. 12 months. If you had a full-time job here, here's what I would have done. But I also said like, you can change this based on what works for you because every freelancer specifically in writing, too. It looks totally different. But there are general things that help. Like you said, that kind of mass email or just general networking. Or I feel like I get a lot of questions about, do I need a social media presence? What should that look like? So basic things like that, like just sort of scrubbing your online bio, making sure all your photos are the same, that kind of thing.
1: Are you saying that? The fact that it says aspiring seltzer influencer in my bio is probably not helping me. (laughs) No, I think that's amazing. I think that's perfect. But there's some people
0: that like don't even have a photo of themselves anywhere, or it's like a different photo for each social media platform, which can be really confusing. Or even just simple things of like using similar colors on different social media platforms can help editors remember you because they associate you with the color. Anyway, brief plug for my course, because I am going to be shutting it all down on October 1st because I don't have the capacity to keep updating it. However, if you're interested, you can use bat on paper for 60% off any of my offerings. So I do one-on-one consulting for freelance writing. I have a course called Zero to Freelance, which is literally what it sounds like. Everything you may need to know about freelance writing. And then I have a pitching guide. So another common question I get is like, how do I send a pitch? And that's that. If you have a story idea and you want to send it to someone, it's oliviamentorcourses.com. And then I'm going to be shutting it down so I can focus on other stuff. So that's that.
1: So I think the most popular question that we got, there were two. The first one was, how do you find your first clients? Or how do you find clients in general? For me, I cold
0: emailed people when I first started. People that Um, you knew
1: or people you didn't know?
0: Both editors sometimes it was like social media connections like oh we both follow each other and like we've liked each other's posts but that actually brought a lot of consistent work to me that kind of surprised me and something with freelance writing is it's a lot about pitching story ideas (laughs) so and it's a lot of smaller pieces of work versus yours which is more long-term so I would put myself on a pitching schedule where I'd like force myself no matter what to send five pitches or 10 pitches every single week and generate story ideas and then keep track of every single one of those story ideas and then repitch them and rework them. And that brought me a lot of work. But yeah, what did it look like for you? I mean, other than that mass email, which is genius, by the way.
1: Well, so the mass email led me to my first clients. I have had a very non, I don't know if it's non-traditional. My experience has been that 100% of my work has been referral-based, either through people I know or through people I've worked for. And, or through other freelancers. So I found my first clients. I think one of the people who got back to that first email was Rachel Drory, who's the CEO of Daily Harvest. And we'd known each other. And she said, I think we might need some help. Like, let's talk when you're back in work mode. And that turned into one of my first projects. And then the other one was Robin Berzin, who's the CEO of Parsley Health, was like, oh, my God, we definitely need help. Like, when's the soonest we can talk? And so, you know, having those two, those, and I think there were probably even more that then didn't pan out into projects, but having a handful of leads really helped me feel confident. I would say in terms of finding clients, there's three ways that have panned out work for me. So one is um, direct connections to people I know. So they they know what I do. They know me and they reach out and say, hey, I, I need help. Like this recently happened with somebody who I know from when I worked in-house now manages a really large team. Somebody on her team is going out on maternity leave and she was like, hey, are you available to cover a maternity leave? So that's kind of one way. The second way is through other freelancers. So in what I do, I usually only have one to three clients at a time. And so finding other freelancers who are kind of also in the same boat, it's really interesting. When I first went freelance, I feel like I had a big network of people in the same situation. And five years later, I feel like almost 100% of those people have either gone on to found their own company or gone back in house. Really? Yeah. So it's 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 definitely like dwindled down to zero. But I got a lot of work through. And I also referred a lot of work when I had a conversation, but I didn't have bandwidth. And I would say, oh, but here's two other people who might and vice versa. Like I got introduced to a lot of people through other freelancers where it mm-hmm. was like, hey, I don't have capacity for this, but Becca might. Yeah. So that was one. And then the third was introductions through... Other people, like I work for a lot of startups, so through investors sometimes will introduce me to portfolio companies and be like, hey, we think that this could be a good match here. So, you know, kind of like matchmaking through other third parties. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, I've never sent a cold email. Like I don't have a website. I don't have a portfolio It is all. I don't have a resume. It is all word of mouth. Yeah. And I feel I feel like it's unrealistic to give people advice that that's how it will be, because I don't think
0: it's typical. But but I think no matter even if you start with the cold emailing like I did, like it kind of builds into that (laughs) the longer you do it. Like I would say now 90 percent of my sort of bread and butter like assignments are editors being like, oh, can you take this on this Mm -hmm. month? And me being like, yeah, even though I should definitely say no. So, and that's honestly takes out a lot of the work. Do you have some
1: kind of website or portfolio that you use?
0: You know, this is actually an interesting question because one of the things that I was convinced that I needed when I decided to go freelance was like a fancy designed website. I paid someone what was, I can't remember how much, but it was a lot of money for me at the time. And a portfolio with like my best clips and a bio and my, my blog. And I still use it for my blog and stuff, but I have not touched that thing, like the portfolio in years and years. And um, in retrospect, I should have just saved that money probably. And like, just kept a very basic website design. It doesn't hurt. I mean, I definitely have gotten good feedback in the past, like, Oh, you know, great website, or I loved those clips, but no, I don't think, I don't think you you need one necessarily.
1: And going back to when you first started out, do you have any sense of initially what percentage of your work came from cold outreach versus relationships you already had?
0: Maybe it was 60/40, like 60% me reaching out. But I also was not making very much money when I first started. Like okay. there were some there were some months that I was making like $3,000, $5,000 and And then it it quickly kind of like exploded, exploded from there. But something that is important to mention is that I think I also went into it with this immense privilege of having a partner who had a, a steady job. And I kind of knew that. And so I don't take that for granted at all. I'd be lying if I said it didn't make a difference in terms of how secure I felt with having like leaner months, which is part of freelancing.
1: I want to talk about business development. So like what percentage of intros would you say pan out into work? Do you have a lot of conversations with people that then kind of like fizzle?
0: Honestly, I would say most. It just it takes longer. Like I've had people, editors that I've been sort of in like online contact with for years and years that you know, have only just now reached out to me about like taking on a story or they get a new job and then they're like, oh, I need freelancers Mm. for this, which is why I always just encourage people to just be, even if it's just online, like engaging with people's social content and people remembering your name and that you're a freelancer, it makes a huge difference. So yeah. What about you?
1: I have a lot of conversations that immediately don't pan out. So I would say 25% of the conversations I have are viable the other 75 percent it can be anything from like they misunderstand what I do and they're looking for somebody to manage their Facebook ads and I'm like oh no that's not what I do <laughs> or we just start to talk money and their budget is like way off from you know my rates or they want to work in a different structure That doesn't make sense for me. So I would say like 75% of stuff ends up being a bust. So I always try to have more conversations than fewer because they're not all going to pan out. And then the other thing is that I feel like timing is a big thing for me because I think that sometimes it's useless to have conversations too far in advance because people are looking for help imminently. So, you know, also there's people where I'll have a great conversation, but I don't have any bandwidth to help them and they're looking for somebody now. Yeah. So
0: I'm curious, like because you work on these like sort of larger scale projects, how far out are you you booked? Like are you sort of always having, these, I mean, I guess like you are always having these conversations, but it's not, like you said, you can't always take on the work.
1: Yeah. So this is varied throughout my freelance career. So I would say for me, a full plate equivalent to a full-time job is three clients. And so at the beginning of my freelance, I would have a full load of three clients. Right now, I'm, I only have one because I'm also writing a book and, and working on other things. So right now, I've been working with the same client for almost a year. And so I just have no availability. But I'm not also at the same time. like So my current project ends at the end of September. And I don't have anything booked past that. So I would say I usually close a deal, quote unquote, like two to four weeks out from starting a project. Okay, interesting. That's, yes, very different than how I work. But it's not like three months out, you know? It's not like, yes, I know what I will be doing in December.
0: Right, do you like that or does it give you anxiety?
1: It's not my favorite, but I do feel like I have this kind of like woo-woo belief in in the fact that there will be more work. And I've heard this from other freelancers too, where it always kind of feels like it's about to fall apart and then something (laughs) comes along.
0: Yes. 100%. It, that is exactly how it is for f- freelance writing as well. I can't tell you how many times that I've lost a client for whatever reason. They didn't need freelancers. They changed the strategy. And I was like, well, this is it. This is this is the time that I completely you know, become a failure. And then without fail, something else always pops up. But that's kind of the nature of it. You get weirdly used to it.
1: Yeah. And I think you would drive yourself nuts if you had a, a breakdown every time that happened because it happens all the time.
0: Oh yeah, and I've actually found that a lot of times it's it's a it's a gift because it's a client that I was like, okay, I've been doing this for 2 years, I'm like sick of it or I need something else or you know, a higher paying client comes along something like that. So, yeah.
1: So, before we move into some money stuff, do you have any advice for pitching individual articles? Yes. So, the biggest
0: single piece of advice I give people is that when you have an idea for a story to figure out where you want to pitch it, first of all, and to figure out how that is fit, how that will fit, how you should pitch it, go to the, I'm just going to use a website, for example, go to the homepage of the website and whatever pieces you see there are the type of content they're prioritizing. Either those articles are going viral or those that's like premier content that they want to do more of. So look at those stories and think about how your idea can fit into that package. So maybe it's like a, a way that the article is presented, like it's an I tried XYZ type of story or it's a, it's a shopping guide, or it's a personal essay that has to do with a specific topic. And if you feel like your idea and those ideas kind of mesh, then that's probably a good place to pitch the idea to, and that's a, probably a good sort of measure of how you should present your idea. Beyond that, it's a lot of logistics, like how to format the pitch and, and stuff like that that I can't really <laughs> explain in words, but I think that's always a good place to start.
1: Okay. Let's take a quick ad break.
0: If there's anything that I'm instantly skeptical of, it's shapewear. I have worn so many uncomfortable, constricting, kind of painful pieces of shapewear in my life that at one point it felt totally impossible to find something that made me feel both confident and Also, you know, like I could actually breathe and move around comfortably. (laughs) That is until I tried Honeylove. Honeylove's pieces go through one to two years of rigorous testing with real women before they ever reach the customer. And this all becomes very obvious once you try the pieces themselves. There's a reason that the brand has been featured in the New York Times, on Good Morning America, Brides Magazine, and has literally thousands of five-star reviews.
1: And I feel like it's not just comfortable, but it actually works. I am on a kick hand-selling Honey Love to all of my friends anytime I see them out because I feel like it makes such a difference under my clothes. I feel like I look smoother and I also just feel more confident when I wear it, but I still can wear it all night and I'm not in agony by the end. And I feel like the boning that it has in it makes such a big difference to make sure that it doesn't roll down, which is my number one frustration with other shapewear. Honestly, like if you see me in person and like you give me any compliment on my clothes, like instead of telling you about the dress, I'm going to be like, it's, it's the honey love. And
0: yeah, you're totally right. The comfort of Honeylove is all in the construction, which is totally unique to the brand. Their shapewear has a signature X on the midsection area that helps your body feel supported and smooth under clothing. But somehow it does so without any of the downsides I've experienced from other brands. It's comfortable. It doesn't roll down, like Becca said. And it also doesn't do that rolling up thing on the leg area, which is always just the worst thing in the world to me. Uh, And most importantly, it's something that I don't dread putting on my body.
1: See for yourself at honeylove.com and get 20% off a second item. Plus, when you use code BADONPAPER, you'll get an additional 10% off your entire order. Get 20% off your second item plus an additional 10% off at honeylove.com with code BADONPAPER. Honeylove.com, code BADONPAPER, rules and restrictions apply.
0: So let's talk a little bit about rates? This is a question that everyone has. And I'm really curious to hear how you go about this because I know that it's so widely different than freelance writing.
1: So this was the second most popular question that we got. So the reality is that it takes trial and error. There is not a magic number that everyone knows and you don't know that your rate should be. Your rate is what the market will pay you. So if too many people are accepting your rate without negotiating, you're charging too little. If you're not getting any work because everyone is balking at the price, you're charging too much. And so the reality is, is that on your first few projects, you might have to go through this trial and error process to find where that happy medium is. And hopefully it's not, you know, you're not telling somebody such a high rate that you're doing it to the detriment of you're not getting any work. But, you know, you might undercharge a little or you might go too high and have to negotiate down. And so it's kind of a a process to figure it out. And I don't think you're necessarily going to get it right on the first go. The best advice I have is talk to other freelancers in your market with similar levels of experience, with similar types of clients and ask them what they're charging. And in general, I feel like that's a good place to start.
0: Do you feel like you've gotten better about this over the course of your freelancing career? Do you still struggle with it?
1: No, I've had the same rate my whole freelance grant. I'm probably charging too little and I probably should increase my prices. But because I'm looking to get out of this, I don't really care. I'm like making enough money. So I've gotten a little lazy. Okay, that's fair. What about you? Is there like a set rate that like the outlet decides or do you set a rate and it's variable by different freelancers? It is different
0: in every publication. Obviously, digital
1: outlets will pay less than print. But do they pay everyone the same thing where it's like we pay $150 per article or like I know in Sex in the City, it was like we pay seven cents per word or something.
0: Yeah, it's it's not word by word anymore. Um, usually what it is is they have a ceiling. So they'll offer you something which is obviously going to be lower than that ceiling. And then you'll push back. and they'll, they'll say like, I'm sorry, this is as high as I can go. Freelance writing is difficult because if you get a story, for for example, let's just say you get a commerce SEO story and they're like, we'll pay you $200 for this. That seems like nothing. And obviously you have to do a lot of those to make a living. But I always tell people to think of it on an hourly basis. So I know by now that I can turn out a commerce story in like 35 minutes. And so if they're going to pay me X amount and I'm making basically, you know, $200 an hour for that work, I don't have a problem doing it and I always tell everyone to be realistic but flexible the other thing is that if you're just starting out clips are important they do help so it might be in your benefit to say yes to something that is lower paying if you can do that and you you know it's not going to take a huge chunk of your time
1: and how do you charge do you charge per article or do you ever have like a retainer like what does the model look like so the times that I've worked
0: in editorial capacity have been an hourly rate or a project rate. The times that I have done like copywriting, it's also hourly. But for the most part, it's per piece. And that can range from 250 to $1,500. So, so it's, it's really dependent on On the publication. But just like you said, also not being afraid to reach out to other freelancers and say, Hey, what's normal for this? Or they offered me this. Is that normal? Or do they raise their rates over time? Sometimes publications will do that if you've been working with them for a while. But I try not to overthink it. And I just am like, okay, this is gonna take me an hour. This is gonna take me two hours. This is gonna take me three hours. And what am I willing to sort of, you know, get from that? Yeah. What about you? How do you do hourly versus project versus retainer?
1: I usually try to do either hourly or retainer. So at the beginning of my freelance career, I would always try to push for retainer because that means I have a guaranteed number of hours per month. And so that means I can more accurately just like predict my income and I don't have to worry about, you know, Will the scope creep, and they'll want more hours because it's capped? And at the same time, I don't have to worry about like, will they not use all their hours and then I'll have less money? And so retainer is what I usually push for, and I usually do a forty hour a month retainer. So that comes out to around like eight to ten hours per week, which I find is generally sufficient for the type of work that I'm doing currently and and I have done other projects on an hourly basis, which is fine. And I just, you know, track my hours and and then multiply it by my rate and, My invoice will just be variable from month to month. I try to avoid project because I feel like one of two things happens. You know, you're either not a great estimator just because you don't know anything about this company and like how they operate, how meeting heavy are they, or, you know, how many rounds of feedback will they have? And so I feel like pricing something on a project basis, like you just don't have enough information to do that well. And then also sometimes, like if somebody starts to get greedy and asks you to do more things, you don't have a cap, you don't have any way to push back on that because you're just being paid on a project basis so it kind of becomes like a little bit subjective of like what is and isn't included in this project. So I try to avoid project.
0: And do you negotiate at all or is it like this is what it is? Do you push back? What does that look like?
1: So I don't I don't buffer my rates. I tell people my actual rate. I'm not like, "Hey, I'm going to tell you my rate is 25% higher so then you can negotiate me down." I usually like say the actual rate and then you know, usually I'll walk away and it depends how much work I have. You know, if I have two clients and this is my third and they try to negotiate down, like I'm happy to walk away. but no, I, I don't like pad my rates or anything. I would say at the beginning, more people negotiated and there were a few projects that I did lower my my rate either because I was excited about the company or because I felt like I needed work and so I was willing to take a slightly lower hourly. so, I have negotiated in the past. What about you? Do okay. you pad your rates? I would say
0: more often it's them presenting you with the rate and then you negotiating up. Mm. And then they'll say, no, sorry, I can't do any higher than this or whatever.
1: Oh, that's interesting. That's different than than my side.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it depends. But <laughs> I prefer that, honestly, than having to be the person that names the number first. But... I always tell freelancers to ask for more money, no matter what, it's kind of a toss up of whether you get it. But I I try to always, it's, it's surprisingly hard, because I think sometimes freelancing can feel like they're doing you a favor, when in reality, like they do need your work. (laughs) So it can be hard to condition yourself to like, be like, no, like this much more, even if it's like 50 or $100, or whatever, more for a story, it does add up over time. So yeah, always, I try to always push back, or at least I tell myself that.
1: I agree. If somebody else has the number first, always ask for more. Yeah, absolutely. How many clients do you have at a time?
0: It really varies month to month. In August, I'm writing for, I think only two, no, sorry, three publications. Sometimes it can be five, sometimes it can be one. Sometimes it could be seven. Okay. <laughs> it really depends on how much each place is paying me and then all the other projects I have going on. What about you?
1: Wait. So if I'm reading between the lines here, you're usually writing multiple articles for a single outlet per month.
0: Usually. Usually. Yes. Okay. If it's a digital outlet, yes. Because usually they'll be like, hey, we have these five stories. Can you do this? And then month to month is how I work. Okay. Okay. So this is the part of the interview where I am probably weakest, (laughs) which is the getting paid benefits, taxes, insurance part of things. But we'll start with an easy one. Becca, do you make more or less money freelancing than you did at your full-time job?
1: So I initially made more money. I would say it's probably about even now because I assume if I had stayed in-house, I would have gotten an annual raise. And so my comp salary would have been higher but at the beginning I was making more money and again I think if you really want to hustle for it like you can make more money freelancing than you do at a full-time job what about you
0: yes but it's also like psychologically it felt a lot better to me because Mm -hmm. I felt much more in control of how much more money I made month to month Whereas I felt like at a company, it's like you could do the best you could do, get the best promotion, and then like you're kind of capped at whatever they think is okay, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas I always felt like, okay, I can make more money, you know, year over year um, in a bigger way. I don't know all the exact numbers off the top of my head, but this is just my mental estimate.
1: <laughs> and what about, I want to talk, I feel like this is more on your side than mine. Can we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of payment timing?
0: Oh, yes.
1: <laughs> so for me, it's it's quite simple. So generally speaking, all of my clients are invoiced net 30 at the end of the month for the work done the previous month. That's beautiful. And I would say right now my client pays in, in an incredibly timely manner. In the past, I've definitely had issues. I had a client at one point that only paid via paper check, and the checks kept getting lost in the mail, which is a problem with my mail carrier in Brooklyn, not with the client. But like, there would be times where I was like three months out and I was like, can you just pay me via wire or something? Like, I don't know why you have to pay me via paper check. And you know, I've had other clients that are like late payers, but not by an incredible amount. But I feel like you have a very different situation. What are the invoice terms for like free- a freelance article? Is it net 30?
0: Every place is different. <laughs> so I, the highest
1: I see is like net 90, and oh, wow. it's pretty rare.
0: I would say it's usually net 30. And this is kind of the benefit of sticking with consistent anchor clients, is that once you're in the system, you know how you're paid, you know you're in like automatic payroll online or whatever, and then getting new clients, you have to do onboarding, and it's just a pain. But right now is actually pretty good. I am paid out through May. So it's just June, July invoices I'm waiting on. So that's ideal. Like there's been times where there's six months and I'm still waiting for like a rogue invoice for whatever reason. And do you follow up? Yeah, I put everything on my calendar. So I I have a huge spreadsheet and I keep track of when I invoiced. And then I put reminders on my calendar of like, okay, this money should be in now. And if it's not, I have to check in. And
1: do you use like an invoicing platform? No, it's just me. Oh, interesting.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if that's the best way to do it, but I just have an invoice form on like Canva that I use and it it works okay for me. But
1: I use QuickBooks, which I feel like it sucks because it does cost. I don't know how much my plan costs. Like it might be like $40 to $50 a month, which kind of sucks, but it keeps track of which invoices have been paid and it basically like replaces that spreadsheet. Yeah. And it also allows me to track like any business expenses for deductions at the end of the year. That is very smart. I do that all by hand too. It's just oh wow! Pretty, it's,
0: I know. I don't know if this is the best advice, but it's just something I started doing and then kept doing. The other annoying thing about invoicing is that like every single client and publication and outlet has a totally different process. Like they there's all these different platforms online. I'm sure you've seen them all, and it's like you have to get an account through this, and you have to do the invoice through this, and like it has to be in exactly this form, and you have to have this number on it. Yeah, it's just that is actually the most annoying part of all of it.
1: Let's talk about saving for taxes. This was another hot topic. Yes.
0: <laughs> what? Do I'm you, not an accountant. I feel the need to preface all of my advice with that. Do you have an accountant? I do. Okay. But I didn't for the first probably year, definitely the first year, maybe the first year and a half.
1: I feel like that's my biggest advice is if you want to go freelance, get an accountant from day one because there is so much that I don't know about and don't care to know about that an accountant can handle. Yeah, it does, it does help a lot. How are you incorporated and how do you handle saving for taxes?
0: I'm a single member LLC. Okay. So it's it's kind of the same. I do quarterly taxes. I didn't my first year and that was one of the most painful things ever, getting to <laughs> how much I owed at the end of the year. I mean, right now I save 60% of every paycheck I get, no matter how big or small.
1: Not just for taxes, for also general savings purposes. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
0: But before when I was just saving for taxes, I think the first year I could only do 20%, which is probably a little bit low, but I was making a lot less. And then I think the next year I did 25 and then 30. And then now I just do 60 And Yeah.
1: I generally save 35% from everything I get paid. And I put it specifically into another bank account. So I have like my business checking account and then I have Mm -hmm. a a savings account and I just put it into a separate account so I don't get confused or accidentally spend it. And so that's served me really well. But I'm actually set up as an S-corp. And again, I know nothing about this. So you should talk to an accountant, not your two favorite podcasters about what incorporation structure (laughs) makes sense for you. (laughs) Please do. I just know that my accountant said you should have an S Corp. And so I have an S Corp and I basically pay myself as an employee. And so I pay monthly payroll taxes. And on the one hand, it's kind of annoying to pay monthly taxes because sometimes nobody pays you in time. So you don't have the money for it. But then I think it's helpful to not have money sitting in my account because then I can't be like, oh no, but I'll like borrow money from this and then I'll I'll put pay it back later. So I like mm-hmm. to just like pay as soon as possible. Yeah, I think that's smart. You gotta break it up somehow. Yeah, <laughs>
0: it's it's literally the the worst thing in the world to not to not do quarterly or pay uh, monthly. So, either way,
1: what about health insurance? Are you
0: on Jake's insurance? I am now, but for the first until this year or last year, I don't know what is time. I paid out of pocket and my insurance was terrible.
1: Where'd you get it through?
0: Where did I get it through? I guess the Pennsylvania like health insurance marketplace. I think okay. It's called Penny or something. It was basically just like the cheapest. And I think it was $300 a month or something. Oh, wow. And it, was not, it was not very good. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> I went to the emergency room once for just like I had random stomach pain and it was like thousands of dollars.
1: Yeah. Health insurance, I feel like, is one of the worst and hardest parts of freelancing because there's, to my knowledge, unless you have a partner that works for a traditional yeah. job that has good insurance, like there's just not a good option.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
1: what I did was you can stay on Cobra from your previous job for 18 months. So I did that and I, for the first 18 months, just kept my insurance and paid out of pocket for it. Now I have health insurance through the New York State marketplace. I specifically chose a more expensive plan that was not a high deductible plan because I like going to the doctor and so, you know, I don't want to have like a, a really high annual deductible. So my health insurance, I'm pretty sure it's $670 per month. Yep. But I think the annual That's... deductible is $1,500 maybe. So it's not crazy high yeah. versus a lot so. of them have like $15,000 deductibles. Probably that's what you had with the $300 a month insurance. So if you have a oh, medical yeah. emergency, your deductibles really really high. Yeah. I
0: considered Cobra, but it was going to be like $900 a month still, and I was like I can't. Yeah. There's no there's
1: no way. Like I couldn't afford it at all. And that's part of you have to budget for insurance because it's really expensive and yes. Or it's usually really expensive or really shitty or both. Uh, my insurance is still pretty shitty like not a lot of places take it it's like metro plus which is sounds like like the budget cell phone carrier of insurances
0: that does not sound real
1: yeah like nobody takes it the alternative is oscar which i know exists in new york and new jersey but i think that's also its own can of worms that not a lot of people take so yeah literally there's no good option so definitely think hard about that if that's a consideration for you yeah it's a pain in the ass for sure
0: Oh man, this question. Becca, tell me what you do from retirement planning because I currently do nothing. Oh, I was gonna say, I don't <laughs> Oh wow, we are. <laughs> Please listen to us.
1: I don't. I mean, that's the reality is like working for a full time employer, you have a lot of this like benefits infrastructure that just doesn't exist for freelancers. And so like, is that important to you? At yeah. this point in my life, I've decided no. And I will just yeah. figure that out at some point. Like, yeah, I have savings, but I don't have like formalized savings. There's no matching, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, I um,
0: like the last year I was working at Bustle. I think we got a 401k as part of our plan. And so it. By the time I left, it accumulated like four hundred dollars. So I'm not kidding you. Since I quit, I get a a mail piece of mail like every month. It's like you have four hundred dollars. What do you want to do with it? And I should just roll it over to. I don't know. I'm Roth IRA. What is that? I'm not sure. I don't know. Have you seen that TikTok that's, you might have a 401k, but I have 401 memories of my life because I spend my money how I want. I don't know. That's how I feel.
1: (laughs) I cannot say that this is going to work out well for either of us. So that's the reality. Like, I think you see a lot of the great parts of freelance where it's like, oh my God, this person can work from anywhere and this person can, has so much flexibility. And it's like, sure. Do we have retirement savings? Sure. Don't. (laughs)
0: Nope, nope. I don't think that far ahead. Yeah, let's talk about like the ebb and flow of freelancing. Have you yes. always had consistent work, or has there been times like me where it's oh, this is a lean month? Or no. how has that been?
1: I shockingly have. I'm probably in my leanest time right now. But you know, when I first started, I budgeted that I would have so a full t- a full plate is three clients. I budgeted an average of 2 clients per month for 10 months instead of 12, assuming that, you know, there would either be months that I had absolutely zero work or, you know, on average it would come out to that 20 client months per year. I don't know if that makes sense to anyone. And I shockingly had very consistent work for my first 4 years of consulting. It's only now in the past three months that I have less work than I want and it's almost by choice I could pick up another client but I'm kind of waiting to sell my book and see what happens and I'd like to be in a position where I don't have to take on more freelance work so yeah I have a lull right now but it's because of choice or laziness intentional I think that's smart what about you how do you plan for lulls in work
0: um I don't really plan for it. Something I do do that I've done for a couple of years now that I didn't when I started is that I have like income goals each month. So I can see like, okay, here's where I'm hitting it. I'm, I'm going above every month. I'm not, whatever. And that kind of helps me stay on track. I didn't do that at the beginning. And I was just like, if I have enough money to pay my bills, like, cool. <laughs> you know, I don't have to go into an office. This is the best thing ever.
1: Well, does that also help with saving 60%? So then if you have slow months you can borrow from savings or you don't touch that that money
0: i do not touch that money unless i have like a credit card bill that's like freaking me out for a long period of time but what it mostly helps me with is like if i have a low month then i know the next month i should take on more work Mm -hmm. and and so on and so forth so it kind of all all balances out um and I can also be like, okay, last year, this month, I made this much. And I know by now that like the end of the year is the biggest time in my life for work. So, so I kind of set income goals that are
1: higher. And and so yeah, it, it all works out. Let's talk about taking vacations. This is another <laughs> hidden non-gem of mm, Freelance. It is. It's hard to take a full vacation to take full time off. I've only really done it in the past year, i would say for my first four years of freelancing, i like took five-day weekends and, you know, tried to tack onto holidays, but i wasn't taking like a full week off anywhere because especially since a lot of my projects were between 3 and 6 months, it's really hard to then be like, but i'm going to be gone for 10 days and you need to figure it out by yourself
0: right and you have a lot of meetings which is a huge difference a between meetings. our work like i'm just kind of on my own like no one knows what i'm doing i'm just kind of floating in the wind but you have to be accountable to those
1: yeah and it's really only because i've had a consistent client for the past year that i you know when i went to france i was like i'm going to be completely offline i'm taking 10 days off and that was fine because i also told them probably 2 or 3 months in advance but yeah. i think that this is a really hard thing where i've ac- i've seen people do it and like you know plan out that they have breaks between clients to travel but like nobody pays you when you're not working and I do think it's pretty generally frowned upon if you're if you're freelancing for like a short-term project to then take a vacation
0: yeah yeah I, I, I can see how that would be for you with the meetings and everything yeah for me it's a little bit different because I can kind of stack my work so like if I travel my intention is always to write while I'm traveling never works out that way. Sure. So I and I <laughs> literally never. Um, so I have learned that it's better for me to just have a week where I have 20 assignments than to try to make myself. But at the same time, if I look back at my income for certain months, the month we got married, I barely made any money. It's just that's how it is. And then maybe the next month I went really hard and whatever. But it kind of sucks. It does, but <laughs> but I still prefer it.
1: What about changes in the economy? Does that affect your ability to find work?
0: I lost a few clients it, when the pandemic began and everyone was freaking out, but I've actually been surprised how consistent it is, especially because working in media and digital media, you just kind of expect the bottom to fall out at any point.
1: <laughs> and it hasn't? I don't, what about you? Well, I actually think it's the opposite of what I would have expected, where I think a lot of businesses rely on freelancers in lean times because it's easier to fire fast or to hire somebody short term. So I've found that there are some situations where I'll come in after a round of layoffs because they've either laid off too many people and then they need help with something or they're like, we're not quite sure we're ready to rehire for this role. So I've actually found it to be pretty good during bad economic times. Yeah, that's true. So what does your schedule look like? Well... Again, my schedule is weird right now because I only have one consulting client. It's different because I'm doing all of these other unpaid creative projects right now. Currently, my schedule is that I sit down at my computer at usually like 8.45 or 9, and I do all of my email triage of anything that's come in overnight or from the end of the day, the day before, and I get through that. I write from 9.30 to 11.30 usually, and then I take a break to shower for lunch, whatever. I do have meetings. I would say right now, 90% of the work I do is meetings. So it is collaborating with people, gathering consensus, working with external partners, et cetera. So my meetings are usually spread throughout the week. Right now, I'm working like 10 hours a week on freelance. So You know, I've around 10 hours of meetings spread throughout the week. God bless you. Yeah. I mean, it's hard for me to answer this question right now because I feel like I'm not on a full-time freelancing. In the past, when I've had more clients, I've worked pretty traditional hours. I generally do my best work in the morning. So I I tend to be online by nine o'clock. I'm not very productive in the afternoon. So I would say unless I have meetings, I usually stop working around four. I think the main benefit is that I can cut out during the middle of the day to go grocery shopping or to run an errand or, you know, I can schedule things during the middle of the day too and just block out my calendar. So there's definitely a benefit. But like, I don't think I take advantage of the scheduling the same way that some people do who are like, I'm a digital nomad and I I've time hacked this. I'm like, no, I I work pretty regular hours. What about you? I guess I do feel a little
0: more digital y, but I generally try to write on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I push stories around a lot, especially as I get busy with other stuff. Um, not my best habit, but um, so sometimes I'll have five due in a day or like I ended up working for a few hours Saturday morning because I pushed things, just silly stuff like that. So when you say write, you mean write freelance stories? Yeah, freelance assignments. But I've found... <laughs> This is why I kind of am hoping to do less of this because I know when I keep pushing things, it's because I don't want to do them. And then I should not say more yes to more of it. And yet I do. So I'm trying to get better about that. But that's kind of how it works right now. I would say most stories, honestly, I can do a lot of it in my sleep kind of. (laughs) So I would say 30 minutes to two hours is kind of the range.
1: Do you have trouble staying motivated or like staying on task without a boss? Hmm.
0: No, not really. Okay. Because the thing that I really always think about when I think about full-time job is that I had so much time where I just sat there and I was like, I could I I don't this is worthless. (laughs) Like I don't need to be sitting at my desk. So I'm like, now it's a little bit easier for me to be like, okay, this is only gonna take me 45 minutes. The other thing is what I really like about freelancing is I'm like, okay if this person, this boss, this editor doesn't gel with me, I can't do it right, whatever, there's going to be someone else. There's going to be a different project. And of course, that doesn't mean you don't try your best. But I feel a lot less like, oh, I need to please this person to feel worthy or Mm -hmm. like I'm good. I'm good at what I do. And also it's like, this is just work. It's not my identity as a human being.
1: Oh, so you think freelancing has helped separate your identity from work?
0: Oh yeah because I think I mean I am so passionate about freelancing because it changed my life mm-hmm. and like I will and that's why I did the course and that's why I will always tell people to do it but I've realized over time that it was a means to an end which is what I really was looking for wasn't like Space to be creative Mm -hmm. on my own terms. And not all freelance work is creative, but it's allowed me to get there. Yep. And I'm so thankful for it for that reason. I don't know if you feel similarly. And I know for a fact that if I had my full time job, I would have never written a book. There's absolutely no way. I don't even know if I would have been able to do a podcast like this, like that kind of thing. So.
1: Yeah. I, I totally agree, but I don't think I was thinking about that strategically when I left my full-time job. Like, I already had that on paper when, when I was still at my full-time job, and I don't think I was like, oh, this will give me more time to focus on this, or this will allow me to write a book. But I do think it has ended up being means to an end. But for me, it hasn't been something that has been so fulfilling that I would want to keep doing it, because for better or for worse, I do derive a lot of like my identity and my personal value from work. Yeah. And, you know, that is a whole separate topic, whether that's good or bad. But, you know, I don't feel super fulfilled by it, but it has been means to an end to make money to give me the space to do these other things. And I think that's ultimately ended up being good. But I don't think that that was a strategic decision I made when I left.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it evolves over time too. And I think freelancing gives you the space to kind of like evolve. Like there was a point where I was like, oh, I'm going to just freelance and like sell courses on how to freelance. And like, I'm really passionate about this. Then I was like, actually, I don't know, maybe I want to do something different. Whereas when you're in a full-time office job, you're kind of like locked in, like, this is what I do. This is my focus. And yeah. so having different projects all the time, I think makes you a little more flexible to new ideas and yeah endeavors.
1: Shall we get out of this section and into some end matter. Yes. Tell
0: me about your obsession.
1: I have potentially one of my weirder obsessions that I've had during the podcast. Okay. So you know how one of my New Year's resolutions was to stop biting my nails? I do. So I've done that. However, I found that one of the downsides of having long nails is that everything gets stuck behind it. And so... Mm especially with beauty products that you use from a jar instead of a pump, I just get so much of it lodged behind my nails. And so didn't anticipate that downside. I really like the Charlotte Tilbury Magic Cream Moisturizer, which is in a jar, unfortunately. So the other week I ordered this, I think it was like Good Morning America had like a flash deal on Sunday Riley products. And so I ordered... This moisturizer that my other friend likes and recommended. I haven't tried it yet, so I have no thoughts. But it came with this like stick almost, like it's like a ceramic beautiful stick to scoop out moisturizer. Hmm. A little scoop. A little scoop. Yeah, it's like a fancy little scoop. This thing has changed my life. Oh. But okay.
0: Yeah. I have a question about sure. it. Which is where do you keep it? Is there like a little holder for it? Because I I know sometimes they will come with little scoops, not a fancy ceramic kind, mind you, but and then I just lose them.
1: Well, so I've been traveling mostly since I've had this scoop. So it stays in the cosmetics bag with the rest of Mm. this. Will it get lost at home? Who knows? And you need need like a little harness, like a little scoop harness. Honestly, I think I would buy these. I'm sure there's a cheap version off of Amazon where like you could buy them in bulk. I am a scoop convert (laughs) is this the most ridiculous thing it like no i like it i like it it's so different than i thought it would be yep because it says stick
0: on the outline Mm -hmm. so i thought it was like a like a stick
1: yeah like that that the delivery mechanism was like cream that comes in a stick and it just turns out to be a stick
0: a tiny scoop is so much better i keep doing this motion no one can see me but it's like this tiny
1: scoop yeah she's like she's like miming as if she has like a really small ice cream spoon (laughs) tiny spoon okay well that sounds great thank you for your support on this what about you (laughs) i
0: i don't have any obsession and we've already been talking for a while so sure none none for now i'll be back next week with something what about books not a lot of updates since we last talked because we've recorded like three days ago Mm -hmm. in real time but I did start All Good People Here by Ashley Flowers, which I've had in my TBR pile for a very long time. Um, she's the host of Crime Junkie, which is like one of my most consistently listened to podcasts. I do know that they have had some plagiarism issues in the past, so um, I'm aware. <laughs> but I think they've resolved it. I hope. But uh, I just started it. Curious to see how it is. Um, so far, it kind of reads a lot like a, a Crime Junkie episode. So okay. I don't. I don't know how I feel about that. Okay. What about you?
1: So I finally finished The Summer Place by Jennifer Weiner. And I say finally because I brought six books on this vacation and now nine days in have finished the first one this morning.
0: It's a long book, too. It
1: is a long book. I really enjoyed it. I I thought it was such a masterclass on character development. Like I felt like all of these characters were so three-dimensional. And mm-hmm. as a writer, I, I really appreciated what she did with it. And I also enjoyed it. It was like a very soapy beach read. That is what we have for you. I hope if you are looking to freelance or are getting started freelancing, this was helpful to you. Should we do like a QA and a on Instagram for any questions that we didn't get to that people still have?
0: Sure. Yeah. yeah. And if nothing else, I hope this helped people understand a little more of our day-to-day lives. Yeah, I hope so too. And just a reminder that our book for this month's book club is You Made a Fool of Death with Your Beauty by Akwike a and I know a lot of people have very strong opinions on this in the Facebook group. So definitely send in your voicemails.
1: If you would like more of us, you can join us in the Facebook group. You can also follow us on Instagram at Bat on Paper Podcast. And we'll put up a question box there for any additional freelance questions you have that were not answered in this episode. And I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. And I'm on Instagram at Olivia Mentor. See you next week. Bye. Bye.